Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet who was also there in the temple, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she hmm. began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waited expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, would you remain standing while I pray? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the, um, the beautiful truth that has been already spoken and prayed and sung and read in this room today. Lord, I pray that it would continue to do its work in our very souls. Lord, I pray that, that what we lack, you would give us, that what we don't know, you would show us, that, we, that, that, we don't, um, that we all, and, and that what we are not yet, um, you would make us, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus so that we might shine his light to a world that needs to see him. I pray that it would all be for the fame and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Find that passage that Audra just so beautifully read. It's in Luke chapter 2. And that's where we will be today. Uh, we'll be in a couple of places in the Bible. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And I'm sure somebody will put a Bible in your hand. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. And while we do that, I just want to ask the first question today. And that is, um, what gives you hope? So what kinds of things give us hope, give you hope? That we know the ending, okay, what else? We know the Lord is still in charge, what else? How about just some everyday things? What are some everyday things that you walk around and you go, you know what, that just gave me hope. We all, like, you know, we all, we all know the, like, the big religious answers, right? Jesus gives us hope, absolutely, and I'm not belittling that, I'm just saying that's what the rest of the message is about, so let's just get real here for the next 30 seconds. Like, what are some little things in life that just give us hope? Josh. My wife said, yeah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Friends, just having a, having a friend reach out to you, right? That gives you hope. What else? Little ones. I know, isn't that awesome? Like, you see little Sarah Joy, wherever she went. I don't know if she already left for the day. Is she already out of here? But uh, she's in the back. Yeah, she, she's, but, I mean, like, that gives us hope, right? 
Any others? What's that? When their kid, when you when you see your kids do nice things for each other, yeah, Amen. It's like there's the spirit moving. Good. I heard a nice sunrise. Yeah, I always say to myself every time I see it, I say he did it, which is most mornings. I say he did it again. Like I'll, I'll say it out loud sometimes. He did it again, and it reminds me that he'll do it again tomorrow if he sees fit. Right. You know, I'm, I, I'm blessed to be able to teach classes at Arizona Christian University, and, um, and so this year I have juniors, and one of them is my daughter, Emma, but um, I was telling them on Thursday, we're getting ready to wrap up the semester, so, you know, you guys are giving me hope, because, I mean, these kids, a lot of these kids don't know the Lord, or they're just barely walking, like, they're just starting their journey with Jesus, and yet, um, I see their hunger for God. And, and I think about all the bad things that, go, that we hear about the, the millennials and the Generation Z, Zers, right? Z, is that what you people are? Um, and you know, and, and, and it all seems so negative. And I'm just here to tell you, there is still hope, right? There is still hope, even in our young people. And so we're in this series where we're talking about, are we missing the wonder? Because as was prayed and as was talked about and as was sung, and Brian even led us at the start of our service, that, we, that we're in a world that is just so crazy and chaotic. And, and oftentimes we come up, all of a sudden Christmas just happens to us. Like we wake up one day and we go, oh my goodness, Christmas is next week. And then the next thought in our head is, oh my goodness, I still have gifts to buy. And, and, and somewhere baby Jesus and the whole story and the gospel got left way back in the chaos. And so years ago, about 10 years ago, we decided to start doing what the church has been doing for millennia, which is celebrating Advent, which just means starting early to set our heart's attention, our, our mind's attention, and our heart's affection on Jesus, on the real purpose for the story. And this year we're doing it a little differently. Um, we're still talking about things like hope and peace and love and joy, but we're doing it through the eyes of some characters. So last week, we ta- I, just ta- I sort of did an overview, literally, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, and how do we see like the wonder through the eyes of Jesus, and that he is the light. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And today we're going to look at um, this, like seeing the wonder through the eyes of two old people. And they are Simeon and Anna, and they are these two sweet souls that we are going to see that are in the temple. And today's question that I'm asking is, how do we hold on to hope and not miss the moment of wonder? Because I think what's already sort of been evident in the room is our propensity is to miss the moment. Because the moments just happen in the midst of life. Um, a, a guy, I, he, used to, he was like a, a, um, a writer for like men's books, like uh, Point Man, Steve Farrar, back when I first became a believer, it was one of the first books I read. And, and he talks about how there's this like, quality time and quantity time. And he says that we men tend to have this idea, and, I, and, and women are no different, that we tend to think that what we're going to do is we're going to make, we're going to, and, and we do this with Christmas and with Jesus. Like we go, okay, I, I, yeah, life is crazy, life is busy, I'll get around to celebrating Jesus when we get there. And then somehow we think that what's going to happen is on Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, we're going to have this awesome time with the family in this moment that really is about Christ. Or we're going to have a beautiful candlelit service, which we do have here, but, and, and somehow that's going to make up for all of of the neglect of the time that we should have been doing, spending with him throughout the, or throughout, um, throughout the season. And, and then what happens is those, qu- those quality time moments are never as quality time as we think they are, so we leave disappointed. Did you know that there is a real thing like this? Is, I don't know what the, there's, I think there's actually an official ty- word for it, um, that, like post-Christmas distress. And it's, and it's because people's expectations are not met. 
And, and, and that means like what we leave those moments going, my quality time just wasn't as beautiful as I thought it would be. Well, this guy Steve Farrar talks about that even in the context of, of, of um, dads and their kids. And he says, gentlemen, I remember this like it was yesterday reading in the book. Gentlemen, quality time happens in the midst of quantity time. You don't schedule quality time. It just happens in the midst of quantity time. And so what we're going to see in these two old people is they spent, the reason they get to see Jesus is, yeah, there was some serious quality in seeing Christ, but they're seeing him in the midst of quantity time because they were making time, they were making room for their Savior. And we're going to see this. How do they do that? Well, they walk in the truth. They have eyes to see and they have a heart to stay faithful. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you would, just turn to, I guess I should be there too. I turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start um, looking at this idea of walking in truth. And I'm actually going to back up from verse 22 and start in verse 21. And it says, at the end of, the eighth, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, the he there is Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, we start, so, so the, the tradition in, in Judaism at the time was that a baby, a, a baby boy would be circumcised on the eighth day. So, so they've practiced that because that's part of what the law said for them to do. And that'll become relevant here in a minute as we talk about walking in the truth. And they give him the name Jesus because that's what Gabriel told them to, to, to give him the name of, or to give, to give us his name. But Jesus is just the New Testament version of of Yeshua, which is Joshua in the Old Testament, and it simply means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. So that's where Jesus gets his name. It's, it was a common name in their, in their time, so there were, there were many Jesuses walking around during the time that Jesus walked the earth. And then look at verse 22, and it says, and when the time came for their, for their purification, according to the law of God, of, of the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So when the time, so the other part of the law in Leviticus chapter 12 was the child was circumcised on the eighth day. The mom was supposed to be purified after giving birth 33 days later, or for a total of 40 days later. The point is, they're following, the as they knew it, they're following the commands of God. Joseph and Mary had a heart to, one, they knew God's word. They're just two peasants. Right? They, weren't, they weren't religious leaders, they weren't pastors, they weren't scholars, they weren't, they, they weren't even regular churchgoers in the sense that we think of it. They were simply peasants from nowhere, but they knew God's word. And they had a heart and a desire to be, be, be obedient to it. Because in verse 23 it says, And it was written in the law of the Lord, Every male who, was first, who first opens the womb shall be holy to the Lord. And, to offer, and then in verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice, there's this phrase again, According to what is said in the law of the Lord. Lord, a pair of turtle doves and a pair of and, and two young pigeons. So, so rather than get lost in the whole thing about the law and what, just understand that they were being obedient to it. But I, but I want us to stop and pause here for a minute as we talk about walking in the truth, because yes, they had a desire to, and, and a hunger to walk. They knew God's word and they wanted to follow God's word. But guys, understand something else. God's word, God's word is a story from beginning to end. We covered it in, in some detail last week. But part of that story, the, 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 if you, there's lots of ways you could summarize the story. One of them is Emmanuel. What, is the word, what does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. That is the story of the gospel. That is the story of Christmas. But Jesus, it's talking about Emmanuel, God with us in the form of Jesus. But guys, understand that God dwelled with his people even in the Old Testament. How did God dwell with his people in the Old Testament? 
fire, like a pillar of fire by day, or by night, a pillar pillar of cloud um, by day when they were wandering in the wilderness. Once they set up the tabernacle, he dwelt in the tabernacle. Then after the tabernacle, what happened? What? The temple was built. So around 950, it was actually finished in 957 BC, Solomon, the son of David, builds the temple. And it says it is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was like literally covered in gold. Part of why the Babylonians destroy it is because they want to they crush the rock and get the gold off of it. I mean, this thing was amazing. It was, it was um, the details of how it was to be built were, um, were in the word, and it was it was truly spectacular. And once it was finished, there's a scene in, in First Chronicles, and it's also in Second Samuel, where they pray, where, where um, Solomon prays over it, and it says that the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and it was so glorious that the presence of God in the temple of God was so glorious, it said that the priests had to back out of the room. And just go, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, fast, fast, if you fast forward a few hundred years, because of our, because here's the other part of God's story. God's people continually reject him, continually ignore him, and continually don't do what Mary and Joseph did. They don't obey his word. And so, the, the, so, I, so Ezekiel talks about, in Ezekiel chapter 10, he talks about how he has a vision of the glory of the Lord departing from the temple of God. And that's what that picture in the bottom right is supposed to show you. So the glory of the Lord de, de, um, de, disappears. Now, now, so that was in 5, that was, the, the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., now you go about 70 years later in 536, God raises up this man named Zerubbabel and puts it on the heart of the, of the new king of the world, who is Cyrus, the Persian emperor. And he says, you guys can go back and rebuild the temple. So under this man named Zerubbabel, this is like during the time of um, Ezra and Nehemiah shortly after Zerubbabel, but this, they rebuild the temple. But the temple that Zerubbabel builds is a pathetic comparison to what Solomon had built. So along comes this prophet, you probably, you probably rarely read, named Haggai. And Haggai says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He's like, it's already mine already. The latter glory of this house of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Guys, the latter, so Haggai is a prophet that shows up during the time of Zerubbabel and he says, there is going to be glory in this pathetic temple, or like in the new temple. But it's not the temple that Zerubbabel built. It's not even the temple that later Herod adds to this temple. Herod, who's the king during the time Jesus is born, Right, it talks about like Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who he takes that little temple and he builds it into this massive temple complex, not to worship God, but to raise money. Because what was going on in those courtyards? Money changing. It was a place of commerce, no longer a place of worship. What's the point? And what does that have to do with what we just read in Matthew? Great question, glad you asked. Here's what it has to do with. Guys, the, glory, the, the, the presence of God was the glory of God in a, in a pillar of fire, in this glory in the temple. The glory leaves the temple, the temple gets destroyed. It gets rebuilt and, and it gets finished in around 520 B.C. That temple gets added to during the time before Christ comes. Christ shows up. Guys, what, the, the temple, the glory of God never refilled the temple of God until when? Yeah, 
until the moment we just read or we're about to read. Who is the glory of God? Jesus. Jesus goes into the... Guys, this is why the triumphal entry... Now we fast forward, Jesus is an adult and he's going to ride in. The reason the triumphal entry is such a big deal and then he walks into the temple is because when, God, when Jesus is in the temple, the glory is the only time the glory of God is ever in the temple until Jesus dies, is buried, rises again, sends his spirit, and now you're the temple. And what dwells in you? The glory of God. Paul tells us, he says, don't, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is a temple of the living God? Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is the glory he's talking about. So, so understand, so, so, so now back to where, where I left you, Matthew, you get this idea that guys, the glory of the truth, the real truth of what Haggai was talking about, of all of the Old Testament history, is in their midst in the temple. And everybody missed it. So here's the question. Because you go, okay, well, how could they? Well, let's go back to where we started. Let's go back to the chaos of the season. Let's go back to quality time and quantity time. Here's the question. How do we miss him? Because we do. All the time. Not just the world. Not just those people. Yes, there are, there, the world is missing Jesus. You're going to read more about that in your daily readings this week. But guys, so we miss him too. We miss the moment. Over and over and over again. So, my next talking points question says this. Christmas Eve is four weeks away. Literally four weeks from today, we will be here in the evening, not the morning, or in the afternoon, not the morning at 3.30. We will be here. There's no morning service that Sunday. It's, we're just doing one service, Christmas Eve, 3.30. But it's four weeks from today. How can you be on the lookout for the presence of the King of Glory this Christmas season? So I'm asking, what are some practical ways that you can just... Get your mind's attention and heart's affection set on him in the next four weeks. Help each other out. I'm asking. Awesome. So nightly Bible studies, talking about how, so you're talking like as a family even, or as a, even you invite your neighbors over. Like just, like if you, have, if you don't have a devotional book, like there's, there's so many. If you need, a, if you need some, some like suggestions for some good Christmas devotionals, let me know. I'll get you one. Like I'll, I'll help you find one. Because there's some great daily devotionals that walk you through the Christmas story. So have that time. Good. What else? Love each other. Good, so just be more intentional about what we talked about. How do we find hope? Hope is what we're talking about today. Well, you lo friendship, loving each other, doing kind things for each other. Like th that's a way, and then intentionally giving God the glory in the midst of that. What else? What are some other ways that we can just set our minds' attention on Him? Christmas books. Just read a couple. Of, read a good Christmas book. Advent readings. Wreath, a wreath, an Advent wreath. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that, we used to do that, like the Advent wreath at our table, and we would tell the story. We do our, our daily our, our Advents around that. So it's, it's basically like a smaller version of what we have up here for the candles. We'd light the candle, tell the story. Um, there's some great resources that are available online and, and um, for that as well. What else? Coming to church. Good. What else? Christmas music. Christmas music. Okay, Christmas music that talks about Christ. And I like the Christmas tree music too. I mean, I do. But, but to, to their point, to Jan and Mark's point, like intentionally like turning off the music you normally listen to and intentionally listening to gospel-centered Christmas music because there's some really good stuff out there, old and new, right? Maybe even just shutting, like, like, like 
Stop, like, download, if, if, you're an, if you're a podcast listener like I am, turn off the podcasts that tell you about all the things that are wrong in the world and maybe just download a good Christmas book on Audible and listen to that instead. Right? There's all kinds of ways. But guys, don't let this, like, if, if not you, who? If not now, when? Right? If you're not going to do it now, I, during the Christmas season, I don't know when, I don't know when you're going to. Because there's a difference between just knowing the truth and walking in the truth. And, and the, the walking in the truth comes from being obedient to what God says and then being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what caused Simeon and Anna to be who they were. And we're going to see that as we get to our second point. So how do we hold on to hope in this time and not miss this moment of wonder? Well, one, we have to walk in the truth. We, we have to know God's word. We have to have a desire to do God's word. We have to have a desire to, to seek after God in all the ways you guys just yelled out. The other thing is we have to have eyes to see. So let's go back to our passage in, in, in um, Luke, and let's pick it up in verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, it, and, he, was a, and he, was a, he was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. And... And, um, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So let's just stop there. So right there, here's this man, Simeon, and, it's, and he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's in the temple where people are supposed to be worshiping. Why is he the only one waiting for the consolation of Israel? Isn't that what they're supposed to all be doing? Like, isn't that what worship is supposed to be? Pointing, looking to, G, like looking to God, at the very least, even if they, look at, for them, it would be looking for the Messiah, Verse 26, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, I just want to stop there for a second and say, guys, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It isn't Jesus Christ, like that's his first and last name. Christ is, um, is a title. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which simply means anointed one. Or the one who will bring peace. It's the, it's, the, it's the child of the promise. What promise? The child of the promises of, of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That right away God says that the seed of this promise is going to crush the head of Satan. And then in Genesis 12 chapter, um, chapter 3. Through you, through your seed Abraham, all of the families of the world will be blessed. So he's saying, so, so this is the Lord, the, the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's chosen one. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do, um, to, do to him according to the custom of the law, so there's that, that phrase again, there's that their obedience, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So Simeon knew the truth too. But what do you see that seems really unique about Simeon? It's mentioned at least three times in just those few verses. Look at verse 28. Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at verse 26. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. He was walking in the truth of God's word by the power of the Spirit. How do you walk into moments? When you're walking into a store, how do you walk in? When you're walking into a moment of intense fellowship with your spouse, how do you walk into that moment? Let me show you. Here it is. So put your finger, keep your finger here. We'll come back to it. Go to Galatians chapter 5. You are either, guys, moment by moment, we are either one of these two dudes or dudettes. Or what would be a little dudette, a little person, child, a, a duty debt? I don't know. Not that. All right. I'm in, I'm in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is the writer where we are. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. It says, 
I'm sorry, starting in verse 19, but it says, so the works of the flesh are evident. So this is saying the, the works of the, of the human, like unregenerated, not yet fully restored person are this. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these I warn you of, as I've warned you of before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, not very uplifting for a Christmas message, but keep reading. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. But here's the question. Which of those two lists is going to define you in the next four weeks? Because moment by moment, we are either fleshing out or, or we're doing what Simeon was. We are being controlled by the Spirit. That's, that is the key here. So the question is, are, are, you, are, the, if, are, you, are you in negative conversations in your head? Are you creating division and dissension? Are you involved in, I'm not going to list them all, but are you involved in drunkenness? Are you strife? And guys, we, we tend to fixate on the sexual sins and go, oh yeah, I, I'm, at least I'm not doing any of those. That's a very small percentage of what he lists there. And he's not prioritizing them. He's saying gossip is just as big a, as big a deal to God as orgies. Amen. Now, parents, I will. Now, parents, I will let I will let you uh, deal with that later. Um, so, which, and I apologize already. Uh, so, so the question is, which is which one of these is going to describe you? Here's the key. It all depends. Now, Paul sandwiches those two just like those two people with with the same thought. Look, look at verse sixteen. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now jump down to verse 25. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Guys, so the question becomes, what's controlling you? Are you being controlled by the Spirit of the living God that indwells you as a believer, or are you letting your flesh control you? So now go back to, Matthew, or back to Luke chapter um, 2, and let's pick it up. Um, let's see, let's pick it up in verse 22 and 23. I'm sorry, in, I'm sorry, I was already there. In verse, um, sorry, in verse 27, the second half of verse 27. He says, um, And when his parents brought his child in according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed him, and he did so according to his word. So he knows the word of God too. And then look what it says. And, and, um, and he says, Now my eyes have seen your salvation. Seeing Jesus is seeing your salvation. Having the eyes to see Christ is seeing salvation. That's what, that's what Simeon is telling us. That you have prepared in the presence of all people a light to the nations. We talked about how Jesus was the light last week. A revelation of light to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel to fulfill the promises of God. Now turn one more place to John chapter 1. We were there last week, John chapter 1. Um, Abby talked about it a little bit during the music time. But in John chapter 1, I'm just going to read a few verses that, that go along with what Simeon is talking about here. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father. And then go on to verse 16. For from his fullness... His is Jesus. From Jesus' fullness we have received. Well, you're going to read in Colossians chapter 1, it, it says that God pleased to put all of the fullness of deity in Christ because he was God. 
It all dwelled in him, Paul tells us in Colossians. For we have all received grace upon grace, abundant grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through or were realized by Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the Father, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known, or he has explained him. Do you know that it, that, that word there is exiomai? Guess, do you know what other word comes along with the word where it says, expl- like, has made him known, or has explained him at the end of verse 18? Do you know what word we get from the word exiomai in Greek? Exegesis. Exegesis is the kind of Bible teaching we do here. It is taking a passage and saying, what is the intent of the passage? Verse by verse, break it down. What did God mean for it to say? What, what, the writer, what John is saying here is he's saying he is the fullness of grace and truth that we're realized, that we're fully known because he is, the, he, he is breaking it down. Like he is breaking down the word of God fully, completely. So back to, ver, back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 33 and we'll finish up this last point. And his father, or his, our second point, and his father and mother were mar- marveled at what was said about him. So here even, even Joseph and Mary are, are a little freaked out about what Simeon is sharing about their son. And they had angels visit them. So it's not unusual that we would have our doubts. Because they do. So don't, don't be afraid. Come with your doubts. This is a safe place to go, yeah, but what about? Because my guess is Joseph and Mary are full of a whole bunch of yeah, buts and what abouts right now. Because they're like, how is this possible when we're a couple of peasants from nowhere going back to that? How is that even a thing? Is what they're probably thinking. And then it says, and a sword shall pierce through so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Does the word of God not make any sense to you? If, if the word of God doesn't make he's saying he will reveal hearts by his power. And, and if the word of God does not make any sense to you, Open up your heart to God. Like I, I'm, I, that's that's what's missing. You have to be open to what He would have you hear. So that leads us to our last talking points question. It says so much of our faith journey seems to start with eyes to see. In what ways is this true? So I, I, rather than ask for input, because I'm a little behind my time. So, you, so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, he prays, I pray that the spiritual eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You have a, you have a handout in your, um, in, your, in your bulletin that has some of the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ. We're going to look at this this week. We're going to look at it again next week as well so you can bring it back. But guys, understand, like this was one of those things that is, as I moved from atheist in my 20s to agnostic, Believing there was a God, then I started going. Okay, maybe God, maybe Jesus is maybe Jesus just had a, a better understanding of who God was. He was a good moral teacher. All that all that stuff, right? It was things like this that started to make me go. Okay, but wait a minute. He couldn't have orchestrated. Jesus couldn't have orchestrated his place of birth. He couldn't have orchestrated that he fulfilled so many. And this is just a sum of the Old Testament prophecies that Christ fulfilled, right? As we as we look at the, as we, but. But in order for me to, guys, I can read this list and did, I'm sure as an atheist, and deny it all, right? Because, I, because I'm pridefully not opening my heart to what God would have me hear, what God would have me see. We have to have eyes to see. So that looks like, not just salvifically, it looks like having the spiritual eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can be born again. But once you are born again, it's having, eyes, it's, it's having the eyes of Simeon. 
When you walk into a situation, when you're talking with some, a brother or sister in Christ, when you're talking to an unbelieving coworker or classmate, are you, are you looking with spiritual eyes at spiritual things? Or is it just the physical situation in front of you? Because everybody but Simeon missed it. And they were all supposed to be looking for the consolation of Israel. Alistair Begg says this, The most important event that has ever happened since the creation of the world is the coming of Jesus Christ. God's son into the world. So why did the most important event happen? Simply this. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The purpose, therefore, is that all of the peoples of the earth might glorify God for his grace and mercy. So the question we're looking at is how do we hold on to hope and not miss the the moment of wonder we have to walk in his truth. We have to love and rehearse and, and, and understand and, and, and hunger for the word of God. We also have to have eyes to see. We have to, we have, to op- have the spiritual eyes of our heart. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit, the spiritual eyes of our heart. We need the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, not the deeds of the flesh. And then the, la- and then the last thing that we have to do is we have to have a heart to stay faithful. And this is where sweet Anna comes in. So go back to, I don't know where I left you, but go back to chapter uh, Luke 2, 36, and it says, And there was a prophetess Anna, a daughter of Phanuel and of, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from the time she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So all that is saying this. This woman lived, was married for seven years. Her husband died, and for probably 60 years, she was a widow. And she spent that 60 years in the temple doing what he, he's about to write. She did not depart from the temple. She worshiped and fasted and prayed night and day. Guys, she was faithful because her focus was faithful. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What captures our minds consumes our hearts. Right? She was fixated on the right thing and it made all the difference. And then it says this, and, at, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, of Jesus, to all who were waiting. There's that word waiting. Remember, remember all the way back in verse 25? What was Simeon doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. She is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What is Advent about? It is a season of waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for the arrival of the king. He comes twice. This is his first coming, and she's waiting for it, and he's coming again. And the, and the question becomes, are, are we going to be a church that is found faithful like Simeon and Anna, or are we going to miss it like everybody else did that was in the temple? In our vernacular, there are, are, just because you're sitting in the church doesn't mean you are anxiously awaiting the arrival of the king. Right? Being in church does not make you a Christian. Just like being, a car, or being in a garage does not make you a car. It's the same, like we cannot sit here and go, yeah, but I'm here today. I plan to be at church throughout the season. So that means I'm anxiously awaiting his arrival. All of those people were going. Guys, the reason, why did they miss him? The glory of the Lord fills the temple of the Lord for the first time in hundreds of years. And most of the people miss it. Why? Yes, they were too busy. Yes, they were too distracted. But they were also too religious. They were going through the motions. They were have-tos instead of get-tos. When your have-to turns into a get-to, you know you want to for the right reason. So then the last thing it talks about is how she, like, I, I see in this passage is um, that we have to endure to the end. 
We have, to, we have to keep telling people about Jesus. Like Simeon and Anna could not keep quiet about that which they'd seen and heard. Just like P- uh, Peter and John in Acts 4.20. Right? They, they, we, have to be, we have to be vocal, but we also have to stay steadfast. We ha- guys, Jesus told us, we should not, I was having a conversation with a brother about this the other day. This should not surprise us what we see going on in the world and in the church. Jesus says in Matthew 24, right as he's getting ready to go to the cross, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. Guys, why have 40 million people de-churched in the last 20 years in America? Why are there 40 million less people in churches in America today than there were 20 years ago? That's why. That's it. This should not shock us. We shouldn't wring our hands about it, but we surely should understand if, if, you, if whether it's you sitting here today or you're listening online because you couldn't make it here today or you know people who have wandered away, guys, understand exactly what is happening. It is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle for what we're going to worship. It always has been. Are we going to worship ourselves? Are we going to worship creation? Or are we going to worship create the creator? That's what Jolene read in, in Romans chapter 1. It's, there's nothing new. Jesus said this was going to happen. But guys, here's the beautiful truth. There are Simeons and Annas. There are Taylors and Farons. There are, you guys, your, we, your story. Right? There, there are, there's always a faithful remnant that is looking for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guys, do you remember what the question was that we're asking today? How do we hold on to hope and not miss the moment of wonder? How do we hold on to that? Guys, there's only one way. By seeing Jesus for who he is. That's why we started the way we did last week. By seeing Jesus for who he is and keeping our eyes fixed on him just like they did. So the question becomes... How do you see Jesus? Is he just a baby born? Is it just a cute little story about a baby born in a barn? Is he just, like this was my migration, is he just a moral man? You know, maybe, maybe, he, was a moral, maybe, maybe he was a moral man who was spiritual. You know, spiritual sounds good. Doesn't spiritual sound good? Like, you know, like he, just, he was more in tune with creation and the creator. That, that was me. I'm not making fun of you. I'm saying that was me. Is he the savior of the world? Because that was me again. Well, you know, I'm, glad, I'm glad that works for you guys. You know, I, I really am. I'm glad that, that you've embraced him as the savior of the world because, because I see that you needed that. Or is he the savior of your soul? Because that's why he came. Because he literally moved heaven and earth to punch a hole in this filth that he might take us home. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for um, the beautiful truth that you are a God who continually seeks sinners. That from the very beginning in the garden, you did not curse Adam and Eve. You came to them and you covered their shame. And that was just the beginning of a story that has been unfolding for eons upon eons. And that we even celebrate one of those exclamation points in the story of of when you came here. When the word, when the eternal word of God became flesh and made your dwelling among us. And we have, as Christians, who have had the spiritual eyes of our heart enlightened, we have beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father.
full of grace and truth. The perfect exegesis of the gospel. I do pray that you would remind us that this gospel is going to be preached throughout all the globe and then the end will come. That the kingdom is advancing. It is. Because you're the king of it and you will not be defeated. You prove that by defeating death. So I pray that as we go into um, this Christmas season, as these four weeks of Advent start today, Lord, I pray that we remember that our hope is, is found not in us, not even in the amount of faith that we have, but our hope is found in the place we've placed our hope, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is in Him that we can hope because He is the one who is worthy And he has proven it again and again. Most of all, by coming, by living, by dying, by rising again, by sending his spirit. So I pray for for the souls in this room that, that are at some place on their journey. They see you as a baby in a barn. They see you as a moral man. They even might see you as the savior of the world. But somehow they have been convinced that they either don't need you or that you don't want them and both of those are are literally alive from the pit of hell every one of us every moment of our day needs your grace and you give it grace upon grace and you want all of us your heart says your, your word says that that it is not your heart to see any perish but all to come to repentance so lord i do pray that this season will be marked by people entering into your glorious presence. In Jesus' name, amen.